Chapter thirty six of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty six. As I wished much to arrive at Chalon that night, we remained no longer at Montmiral than was absolutely necessary to refresh the horses. But before we arrived at Chantrix, the ambling knack which had borne Achilles began to appear jaded, and for fear of knocking him up altogether, I determined to halt at that little village for the night, never doubting that we had left our persecutor far behind. What was my surprise then on descending to the courtyard the next morning to see the same identical little man with his brown pourpoint and his immense funnel-shaped riding-boots standing in the court ready to mount his horse? I drew back instantly, hoping he had not seen me, but to see everything was a part of his profession, and quitting his horse's bridle, he ran into the house after me, pulled off his beaver with the lowest possible bow, giving me the compliments of the morning, and declaring himself the happiest man in the world to have met with me and my fortunate countenance again. "'I saw your horse standing in the stable,' added he, "'and was resolved not to be too late to-day.' His persevering impudence was so ridiculous that I could not help laughing, and as I saw no way of getting rid of him at the time, I resolved to tolerate him for a while, till I could find some means either of putting him on a wrong scent, or of casting him off more effectually. "'Well, then,' replied I, "'if you are resolved to follow my fortunate face all over the world, you will have to ride fast and far, for I am going to Metz and am pressed for time.' "'Sir,' replied the stranger, I am delighted at the opportunity of riding with you so far. If you had ever been in the East, sir, you would have no difficulty in divining my motive in accompanying you. Without having been in the East, I muttered to myself, I have no difficulty in divining your motive. But taking care not to allow him to suppose I entertained any suspicions of him, I begged he would explain how a journey to the East could have enlightened me upon such a subject. "'Why, you must know, sir,' replied he, "'that all Oriental nations hold, and I profess myself of their opinion, "'that good and bad fortune are infectious, "'and that by keeping company with a fortunate man, "'we very often mend our own luck. "'Now, sir, I read in your countenance "'that you were born under a fortunate star, "'and therefore I resolved not to leave you "'till I was certain I had caught something of the same.' "'But I hope you are not an unfortunate man,' rejoined I, "'for if you are, on your own principle, you shall ride no farther with me.' "'Oh, no,' replied the other, "'my fortune is neither good nor bad. "'I am just in that indifferent state wherein a man is most liable to be affected "'by the fortune of the company he falls into.' "'Then, Lord, deliver you,' said I, "'for you have fallen in with one whose whole existence hitherto "'has been nothing but a tissue of mischances.' and if I find, as I am afraid I shall, my aunt at Metz has died without making a will, my misfortunes will be complete, for I shall have hardly bread to eat, without his eminence of Richelieu gives me a place, a recompense of a little service I once rendered him. I tried hard to make this annunciation in as natural a tone as art could furnish me with, and I succeeded in evidently bewildering all the preconceived ideas of the spy, who, while I discharged my reckoning and mounted my horse, which was now ready, stood with his foot in the stirrup and his face full of incertitude, not knowing whether to believe me or not. 
it luckily so happened that achilles who stood by was totally ignorant of what motive induced me to quit paris and i might for aught he knew have had as many aunts at metz as danaeus had daughters so that his countenance was not likely to contradict me the spy however knowing that suspicion is the best rule of action for gentlemen of his cloth under all circumstances thought he could not do wrong in throwing his other leg over his horse's back and following me even at the risk of my having an aunt really dying at metz accordingly he was instantly by our side keeping up with admirable perseverance the, the chattering inquisitive character he had assumed and never ceasing to ask one question or another till we arrived at san Menehol, where i again stopped for the night wherever we had occasion to pause even to water our horses i observed that my new companion was evidently known though every one affected to treat him as a stranger determined to get rid of him some way from this confirmation of the suspicions i entertained respecting the honourable capacity he filled as i was about to retire for the night i whispered to the host of san Meneho, sufficiently low to pass for a secret yet sufficiently loud to be heard to wake me at half-past four in the morning after this i proceeded to my room undressed myself went to bed and made achilles extinguish the light as if i were about to sleep soundly through the night but i took care to abstain from closing an eye though the temptation was very great to do so especially as i was entertained from the bed of my little companion with a sort of music which however unmelodious was very soporific i had previously ascertained that at one o'clock in the morning the king's ordinary courier was expected to pass from verdun and consequently that somebody would sit up in the inn to provide for his accommodation at midnight therefore i rose and waking achilles bade him dress himself and carry down the bags all of which we executed with the most marvellous silence paid the landlord who was sleeping by the fire saddled our own horses and very soon were far upon the road to verdun laughing over the surprise which our talkative companion would feel the next morning when he woke and found us irretrievably gone achilles thought it a very good joke and i a very happy deliverance and the dawn broke and found us congratulating ourselves still but what was my horror and surprise when turning my head in the grey light of the morning i saw the brown pourpoint and the funnel-shaped riding-boots and the strong little horse and the detestable little man not a hundred yards behind me cantering on as composedly as if nothing had occurred to separate him for a moment from my fortunate face as he called it ho ho cried he as he rode up i am not a man to force my society upon any one but i must say it was a very ungentlemanlike thing to get up in the night and leave me behind without so much as giving me warning or wishing me good evening and i have ridden all this way sir to tell you so we had already passed clermont en argonne and were in the heart of the wood that stretches round the village of dombay and is generally called the long wood of dombay i knew not what might be the consequence of suffering this old man to follow me to verdun but it was more than probable he would meet with many persons armed with sufficient authority either to detain us or to search our persons should he think fit to instigate such a proceeding but i was well aware that the life or death the safety or destruction of many of the first persons in the realm depended on my passing free 
and therefore I took my determination at once. Glancing up and down the road to see that all was clear, I suddenly turned my horse upon him, caught his bridle rein with one hand, and his collar with the other, and attempted to pull him off his horse. But I soon found that I had to do with one who, though weak in comparison with myself, was nevertheless skilful in the management of his horse and the use of his arms. In spite of my efforts, he contrived to bring his horse's head round, to shake off my grasp, and drawing his sword, to stand upon the defensive in so masterly a manner that the farther attack became a matter of no small difficulty. I was now, however, too far committed to recede, but while I considered the best means of mastering without injuring him, he seemed to think I was daunted, and cried out in a jeering tone, "'Ho, ho, your fortunate face is likely to get scratched if you come near me. Better ride on to see your aunt at Metz, or back to Paris, and persuade the cardinal to give you a place. See that it be not in the Bastille, though.' "'Ride in, Achilles, on your side,' cried I, "'while I ride in on mine. Quick, we have no time to lose.' No sooner, however, did the old spy hear this order, and see it likely to be executed, than turning his horse back towards Clermont, he gave him full rein and spurred off at all speed. This did not very well answer my purpose, and dashing my spurs into my beast's side, I made him spring on like a deer, overtook the fugitive before he had gone twenty yards, and once more catching his collar, brought him fairly to the ground. It was no longer difficult to master his sword, and this being done, he begged most pitifully for mercy. "'Mercy you shall have,' replied I, "'but, by heaven, I will no longer be teased with such detestable persecution. "'Tis insupportable that a peaceable man cannot ride along the high road on his own affairs "'without having a chattering old dotard sticking to him like a horse-leech.' Achilles had by this time ridden up, and taking some strong cord which he happened to have with him, I pinioned the arms of my indefatigable pursuer, and leading him a little way into the wood, I tied him tight to a tree, near a pile of faggots, which showed that the spot was so far frequented, that he would not be left many hours in such an unpleasant situation. My only object was to get rid of him, and this being effected, I again mounted my horse, and pursued my journey to Verdun, though, as I went, I could not help every now and then turning my head and looking down the road, not a little apprehensive of seeing the brown pourpoint and funnel-shaped boots pursuing me once more. I arrived, however, unannoyed, and notwithstanding the prayers and entreaties of Achilles that I would but stay a quarter of an hour to satisfy the cravings of an empty stomach, I instantly hailed one of the flat boats that lie below the bridge. The little man, judging of my intentions, spurred his horse as quick as light up to the traiteurs on the opposite side of the way and before i had concluded a bargain with the boatman to take us and our two horses to sedan he had returned with an immense roasted capon and half a yard of bread once in the boat and drifting down the meurs i felt myself in safety and a full current and favourable wind bore us rapidly to sedan it was night, however, before we arrived, and we found the gates closed and drawbridge raised, and all the most vigorous precautions taken to prevent the entrance of any unknown person into the town during the night. "'If you will disembark, sir,' said the boatman, "'and go round to the land-gate, they will soon let you in, for there are parties of fifty and sixty arriving every day, 
and Sedan will be too small to hold them before long. However, they refuse no one admittance, for they say the Count will soon take the field. Take the field, said I, and for what, pray? Ah, oh, that I don't know, answered the boatman. Folks say it is to dethrone the Cardinal, and make the King Prime Minister. Whether this was a jest or a blunder, I did not well know. But bidding the man put me on shore, I led out my roan, and mounting on the bank, rode round to a little hamlet which had gathered on each side of the road, at about a hundred yards from the Luxembourg gate. As I was going to inquire at one of the houses, I saw a sentinel thrown out as far as the foot of the glacis, and riding up to him, I asked if admission was to be procured that night. He replied in the affirmative, and proceeding to the gate, I was soon permitted to enter, but immediately my bridle was seized on each side by a pikeman, and the same being performed upon Achilles, we were led to a small guard-house, where we found a sleepy officer of the watch, who asked with a true official drawl, "'Whom seek you in the good town of Sedan, and what is your business here?' "'I seek his highness, the Count de Soissons,' replied I, "'and my business with him is to speak on subjects that concern himself alone.' "'Your name and rank?' demanded the officer. "'Louis de Bigorre, Count de Lorme,' replied I, "'and this is my servant, Achilles Lefranc.' "'We shall soon have need of Achilles,' said the officer, grinning. "'I wish, Monsieur le Comte, that you had brought a score or two such, though he seems but a little one. Mouchard, guide these two gentlemen up to the castle. There is a pass. There is almost always something sad and gloomy in the aspect of a strange town at night. We seem in a dark, melancholy world, where every step is amongst unknown objects, all wrapped up in a cold, repulsive obscurity. And I felt like one of the spirits of the unburied, on the hopeless borders of sticks, as I walked on amidst the tall, dark houses of Sedan, which, as far as any interest that I had in them, were but so many ant-hills. Lighted by a torch that the soldier who guided us carried, and followed, as I soon perceived, by two other guards, we were conducted to the higher part of the town, where the citadel is situated, and there, after innumerable signs and countersigns, I was at last admitted within the walls, but not suffered to proceed a step in advance till such time as my name had been sent in to the principal officer on guard. I was thus detained half an hour, at the end of which time a page, splendidly dressed, appeared and conducted me to the interior of the building, with a display of reverence and politeness which augured well as to my father's reception. Achilles followed along the turnings and windings of the citadel, till we came to a chamber, through the open door of which a broad light streamed out upon the night, while a hundred gay voices chattered within, mingled with the ringing careless laugh of men who, cutting off from themselves the regrets of the past and the fears of the future, live wise and happy in the existence of the day. "'If you will do me the honour, sir,' said the page, turning to my little attendant, "'to walk into that room, you will find plenty of persons who will make you welcome to Sedan, while I conduct your master to another chamber. Achilles bowed to the ground, and answered the page in a speech compounded suddenly from twenty or thirty tragedies and comedies, and though, to confess the truth, it hung together with much the same sort of uniformity as a beggar's coat, yet the attendant seemed not only satisfied, but astonished, and made me, as master of such a learned Theban, 
a lower reverence than ever, while he begged me to follow him. Meet it as one will, there is always a degree of anxiety attached to the first encounter with a person on whom our fate in any degree depends, and I caught my heart beating even as I walked forward towards the apartments of the Count de Soissons. We mounted a flight of steps, and at the top entered an antechamber where several inferior attendants were sitting, amusing themselves at various games. In the room beyond, too, the same sort of occupation seemed fully as much in vogue, for, of twenty gentlemen that it contained, only two were engaged in conversation, with some written papers between them, while all the rest were rolling the dice or dealing the cards, with most industrious application. Several, however, suffered their attention to be called off from the mighty interests of their game, and raising their heads gazed at me for a moment as I passed through the room, and then addressed themselves to their cards again with a laugh or an observation on the newcomer, which, with the irritable susceptibility of youth, I felt very well inclined to resent, if I could have found any specious plea for offence. The page still advanced, and throwing open a door on the other side of the room, led me through another small antechamber, only tenanted by a youth who was nodding over a book, to a door beyond, which he opened for me to pass, and left me to go in alone. The room which I entered was a large, lofty saloon, hung with rich tapestry, and furnished with antique chairs and tables, the dark hues of which, together with the sombre aspect of the carved oak plafond, gave a gloomy air of other days to the whole scene, so that I could have fancied myself carried back to the reign of Francis I. A large lamp, containing several lights, hung by a chain from the ceiling, and immediately under this, leaning back in a capacious, easy chair, sat a gentleman with a book in his hand, which he was reading, and evidently enjoying, for at the moment we entered he was laughing till the tears rolled over his cheeks. As soon as he heard a step, however, he laid down his book and turned towards the door, struggling to compose his countenance into some degree of gravity. As I advanced, he rose and addressed me with that frank and pleasing affability, which is the best and surest key to the human heart. "'Count Louis de Bigor, I believe,' he said. "'You catch me in an occupation which the proverb attributes to fools, laughing at myself. But with such a companion as Sancho Panza, one may be excused, though the same jest has made my eyes water a hundred times.' however be you most welcome for you have been a long expected guest at sedan yet now you are arrived he added however great the pleasure may be to me perhaps it would have been better for yourself had you remained absent i replied as a matter of course that i could not conceive anything better for myself than the honour of being attached to the count de soissons heaven only knows said he what may be the event to you or me but sit down and tell me why you left paris whom you saw there and what news was stirring in that great capital i have been four days on the road replied i bringing forward one of the smaller chairs so as to be sufficiently near the prince to permit the conversation to flow easily without approaching to any degree of familiar proximity perhaps i continued as i rode my own horses i might not have had the honour of seeing your highness till to-morrow had I not found it necessary to hurry forward to avoid a disagreeable companion. "'How so?' demanded the Count. "'I hope no attempt was made to impede your progress hither, for if that has been the case, it is time that I shall look to my communications 
with my other friends in France. I gave the Count a somewhat detailed account of my adventures on the road, that he might judge what measures were necessary to ensure the secrecy of his correspondence with Paris. "'So,' cried he, laughing, "'you have met with an old friend of ours here, Jean Le Hableur, as he is called. He is one of the Cardinal's most daring and indefatigable spies, and few are there who have had address and courage enough to baffle him as you have done. He traced my poor friend Armand de Paul to the very gates of Sedan, found out that he was carrying dispatches to me, filched a letter from his person containing much that should have remained secret, and having made himself acquainted with his name, laid such information against him that Armand, at his return to Paris, was instantly arrested and thrown into the Bastille. Why, the whole country between Verdun and Paris is so famous, or rather infamous, from his continual presence, that no one here dare pass by that road for fear of meeting with Jean le Hableur. You should have gone by Mezières. But where are these letters you speak of? I instantly produced them, and gave them into the hands of the Count, who read the letter from the Duke of Orléans, with a sort of smile that implied more scorn than pleasure. He then laid it down, saying aloud, with rather a bitter emphasis, "'My good cousin of Orléans!' He then perused the epistle of Monsieur de Retz, and from time to time as he did so turned his eyes upon me, as if comparing the character which he therein found written down, and those ideas which he had already begun to form of me himself, from that outward semblance that almost always finds means to prejudice, even the widest and most cautious. When he had concluded, he rose and walked once or twice across the saloon, thoughtfully running his hand up and down the broad, rich sword-belt which hung across his breast, which I afterwards found was habitual with him when any consideration occupied him deeply. I had risen when he rose, but still stood near the table, without, however, turning my eyes towards it, for the letter of the Duke of Orléans lying open upon it, I did not choose to be suspected of even wishing to know its contents. "'Sit, sit, Count Louis,' said the Prince, resuming his seat, and then adding in a serious tone, but one of great kindness, "'Monsieur de Retz, I find, has not made you aware of all the circumstances of my present situation, and perhaps has done wisely to leave that communication to myself. From the great friendship and esteem, I may say affection, with which my mother regards you, I had not a moment's hesitation in saying that if you would join me here, you should have the very first vacant post in my household suitable to your own high rank and the antiquity of your family. Since then, the place of first gentleman of my bedchamber is void, I have reserved it for you. But as that is a situation which brings you so near my own person, an unlimited degree of confidence is necessary between us. Your rank your family, the high name of your father and grandfather, the admirable character which my mother attributes to yours, all seem to vouch that you are, that you must be, everything noble and estimable, but still there are two or three circumstances which you must explain to me before I can feel justified in trusting you with that entire confidence I speak of. Monsieur de Retz says you have given him your history, which is a strange one, though how that can be I do not know, for you are but a young man, and can have, I should imagine, but little to tell. He says farther that he met with you by accident, and seems to hint that, when he did so, you had not intended to join me here, as my mother informed me you would. He insinuates also 
that you were somewhat indiscreet towards him in speaking of your own affairs explain all this to me for there is something evidently to be told make me your confidant without reserve and in return i will confide to you secrets perhaps of greater importance if you have nothing to tell but youthful errors or imprudence speak without fear as you would to a friend and brother but he added more gravely if there is anything which affects your honour which i may say i am sure there is not i ask no confidence of the kind had your highness not required it replied i i should not have presumed to intrude my private affairs upon your attention but now that i find you most justly think it right to assure yourself of the character of one to whom you design the honour of being near your person i may be permitted to express what happiness and consolation i feel in being allowed to repose all my griefs and misfortunes in the bosom of a prince universally beloved and esteemed when i spoke thus i did not flatter and i concluded by giving as brief a sketch but as accurate a one as possible of all the events which filled the foregoing pages of these memoirs i will own my lord i added that i told a part of this story to monsieur de retz but only a small part and that was in a moment of joy when after having lived lonely and miserable in a large city for upwards of a month i suddenly found that i was expected and would be welcomed by a prince possessed of a treasure which few princes i am afraid can boast a generous and a feeling heart i was perhaps indiscreet in communicating even a part to any one but your highness but you will not find that in your service i will be either indiscreet or unfaithful i believe you said the count on my honour i believe you and de retz was too hasty in even calling you indiscreet for your conduct towards our friend jean le Hableur proves sufficiently that you can keep counsel your history has interested me more than i will tell you at present i feel for all you have suffered and i would not for the world barter that power of feeling for others against the most tranquil stoicism sympathy however though always agreeable to him that excites it is little pleasing to him who feels it without he can follow it up by some service to the person by whom it has been awakened i will try whether that cannot be the case with you but you are tired with your long journey and the night wears ho without there send monsieur de varicarville hither we will talk more to-morrow monsieur de long since such is the name you choose i rose to depart but at the same time one of the gentlemen whom i had seen in the outer chamber conversing while the rest were gaming entered and the count introduced me to him begging him to show me all kindness and attention as a person whom he himself esteemed and loved End of chapter thirty six